as this morning we're going to be hearing from our brother Richard Babula. Good morning, church. It's really my privilege um, to be here and uh, to take on the mantle that, um, that God has, has placed. Thanks to Nino um, for believing in us, in me. I really appreciate that. Um, today, I have the privilege of introducing the final element in our theme, Mission, Motion, Maturity. Um, again, I must thank Nino for the opportunity to share my thoughts with you all. If anyone should be doing this message, it, it is him. Um, ever since he was a teenager in our church, he always struck me as being very mature. I was shocked when I first learned his age. He was probably 18 at the time. But already he was an excellent servant, passionate about his faith, a great listener, humble, and dating up a storm. <laughs> now he's in his 30s, believe it or not, leading his family, his beautiful wife, his, his kids practi practically full-fledged teenagers, and also leading the church. You'd be forgiven if you thought he was 50. Um, well, let me get back to the message um, before this is the last time I'm asked to preach. <laughs> our, our, our passage this morning is taken from Colossians 1, verse 15 to 29. So please turn there with me. Colossians 1, reading from verse 15 to 29. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, um, Lord, um, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to be in your word. Father, I pray that... Um, that we are all humble before you right now. I pray that I am humble before you, Lord, and that you use me as a vessel to, to proclaim your words, to say the things that you want me to say. I pray, God, that above all else, your love is shown to us, um, to, your, to your saints, to those who are visiting. 
that they see clearly your love, Father, and your, your, your power at work. I pray, God, for a miraculous movement of your Holy Spirit amongst us to bring us to maturity, to bring us, God, to the place where, where we can be most effective, not only for ourselves, God, but for the lost, for those who are out there who are, who are, are heading to a literal hell. I pray, Father, that you help us to be mature, to grow in maturity, to grow in spiritual maturity. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'll be following my Damien Jabatis um, structure. So the historical context. The letter to the Colossians is written during one of Paul's many imprisonments. Paul didn't start this church. Rather, one of his companions, Epaphras, did. And it was during one of Epaphras' visits to him that he learns of the church's continued love and faithfulness, as well as some of the cultural pressures that they were facing. Cultural pressures being they would have felt the pull to treat Jesus as just another one of the many deities that they used to worship. And also the pressures by some Jewish Christians to enforce the elements of the old covenant into their church community. Example, the kosher laws, circumcision, and the Sabbath. Paul writes to encourage the church that Jesus is supreme and there is nothing additional required. He also calls them to live out the mature, godly life God called them to in heaven. Even now while they were here on earth, they were to practice such spiritual maturity. Our passage starts in chapter 1, where Paul expresses his thanks to the Colossian church for their love and faithfulness, reassures them that they have heard the full gospel, there's nothing extra, and that the same gospel continues to spread and numbers are being added continually throughout the world. His desire is that they continue to bear fruit as they live out the kingdom life in the here and now, as if they were already in heaven. So my big idea for this message, for spiritual maturity, Jesus is the perfect example of the fully mature human. For us to become like him, we must humble ourselves before the Son of God. Deal with the problem of sin, lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, and share the gospel with the lost. So my, my first point which marks, which, which are the marks of the spiritually mature, is the hum they, well, meaning us as Christians and even those who want to be, humble themselves before the supremacy of God. Um, recently, there was an interview with um, Cristiano Ronaldo. For those of you all who don't know them, please talk to Judah Barrett. Um, he was asked what he thought was his purpose in his life. And he said it was to teach people to play football. So another interview took place, and um, the, uh, I think it was the same interviewer, um, would have interviewed Messi. And he, they mentioned to him what Cristiano Ronaldo said, that he believed that God had sent him to teach people how to play football. Messi's response was, that's funny, I don't remember sending him. <laughs> now, I think that's a fictional story, quite honestly. I can't believe Messi actually said that. But there's a real God. There's one who is supreme, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's look at verses 15 straight down to 19. I'll repeat it again. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is supreme. Paul gives us a poem or a song that explains this point. This poem is rich in Old Testament imagery from Genesis, the Psalms, and Proverbs. I personally believe this poem would have been familiar to the Colossians. It is split into two broad stanzas, verse 15 to 17, and then verse 18 to 20. The first verse basically, the first stanza basically outlines Jesus' role and power in all of creation, from the seen to the unseen. And the fact that he is the one who holds all of this that we see, feel, and touch, he holds all of this together, even now. The second stanza shows that this all-powerful Son of God, as the head of the body, the church, us right here, the fact that those in his body are and will be like him, raised from the dead, so that he will have supremacy in everything. He is able to do this because he has paid the price for sin by his blood shed on the cross. This song or this poem, whatever you want to call it, just blows my mind. The immensity and the power of Jesus, his divinity, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, the fact that he is God the Son, the creator of the seen and unseen. We look at Psalm 19 and it says that the heavens pour forth speech day after day, night after night, communicating that there is a God. We look at Romans 1 where it says that, that men have gone after all kinds of different sins. Um, and all kinds of different images. But it's plain. No, nobody is without excuse. No, sorry. Nobody has an excuse that they cannot understand or see that there is obviously a God. The fact that he is God the Son, the creator of the scene and the scene. Scientists largely believe in the Big Bang Theory. In my opinion, they are just afraid to say who caused the initial bang. The precision required and the exact combination of heat, elements, etc. to create this universe shows that this is no random design. The complexity of what we see shows that there's an intelligent designer. Even now, as far as the unseen goes, scientists also agree that the statistics show that what is seen cannot account for the amount of energy and elements in the universe. They now estimate that 75% of the universe is made up of what are called dark matter and dark energy. It's called dark because they can't see it. But they know that it's there. I say this, is to, I say this to show you how amazing God has made this universe. The universe is actually still growing. It is still growing as we speak. And the Bible tells us that all of this came about through Jesus' power. That he was before all things. That everything that was created came through him and finds its place in him. This is the Son of God. And yet as Philippians 2 tells us, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. And why? So that, as Colossians 1.20 tells us, to reconcile us to God. This all-sufficient, perfect God didn't need anybody, didn't need anything. Decided to leave his throne of glory to come down to reconcile us to him. Think about the, the diversion between these two stanzas. That God considered us worthwhile, even while we were still his enemies, to come and save us. I mean, what humility, what love, what compassion and grace. Even while we were his enemies and he did not have to do it, this great God loved us and offered us hope and the sacrifice of himself to save us from accusation and condemnation. What kind of risk was this to the triune God? What if Jesus had succumbed to the devil's temptations in the wilderness? What if, while in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed and his sweat was like drops of blood, and he cried out to God for strength as he did not want to go to the cross, he had given into the temptation? How risky this God was to offer himself to save us. And that, to me, is one of the marks of maturity that we have to, to take out of God. And he was willing to risk it all for the sake of us, even his enemies. We too could love and show compassion and mercy and grace as he has done. We too could be as spiritually mature as our Lord Jesus. If the power of Jesus Christ, the power that created this entire universe, is the power at work within the church, and it is, we should be confident that we too can become spiritually mature and be like Jesus. And what can't Jesus do? Will we, will we look to our Lord as the example of spiritual maturity? I believe the passages that follow points to three areas that highlights where we can look to Jesus as we seek to mature. The first one is sanctification. Sanctification in his sight. In verse 21 it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Many of us here were enemies of God until we surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Jesus and were baptized for the forgiveness of sins and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lower down in Colossians 2 verse, 30, um, so verse 9. Colossians 2 verse 9 to 13. It has a turn there. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lived in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I'm speaking now to those who are, are not Christians or not sure. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, the word of God is simultaneously encouraging you and warning you. You are still alienated and enemies of God because your evil behavior has not been atoned for. However, I encourage you to not leave here today without speaking to someone 
about how you can be reconciled to God. After Jesus ascended to heaven, before we go on there, let's read back up in verse 23 of Colossians 1. It says, If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That phrase, if you continue, I'm speaking now to the Christians. Because you've been baptized, because you have repented and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean that that's the be-all and end-all. One save, always saved, does not apply. We have to continue to be sanctified, continue to be made holy, continue to become more and more spiritually mature. For those of us who have committed our lives to Christ, having been baptized in verse 23, is for us. If you continue in the faith established and firm, it's the process of sanctification that must go through continually to stay in a saved relationship with Christ. Right? In 1 John 1, reading from verse 5, you don't have to, again, you don't have to turn there. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Later down in 1 John 3, reading from verse 8, it says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Very similar to what Uncle Patrick shared. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in remains in them they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of god what are to be to do with scriptures like these it's not that it's not that as christians we won't sin god makes that clear in first john 1 that we will sin and when we stay in the fellowship and are transparent about our sins we are forgiven however what verse chapter 3 sorry talks about i believe he's saying is that we cannot be continually enslaved to habitual sin. We must overcome our sin to be spiritually mature. If we are not, I'm not saying this, the scripture is saying this, we are not being children of God, but rather children of the devil. If we are to be spiritually mature, we must be open and transparent to be continually forgiven. We must work to overcome habitual sin in our lives. This is part of the maturing process, being sanctified or made holy as a Christian. I wonder how many of us are not engaging in this process. To me personally, it's been alarming to realize how independent and self-willed some of us have become in obeying this. You're not doing this for short-term goals, but rather as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you obey because you want to be with Christ in eternity. That is the mature view. The immature view will look to short-term thinking. How I look before people, 
or what I can gain by falsely perpetuating a particular outlook. You will be found out. It would be far better to be honest and open about your life. I don't have it written down, but I remember um, this passage in 2 Kings 5.20 where um, I think it was Nahum, he was a Syrian um, commander, um, would have gone to Elisha because he heard that Elisha was a prophet in Israel to be healed of his leprosy. And Elisha told him to go, I believe it was the River Jordan, right? To go and dip himself seven times in that river. And he was upset. He was upset. So he was like, one of his, 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 his fellow um, soldiers had to tell him, if he had told him to do something more difficult, I'm paraphrasing, to go to the, the rivers of Ashad or one of the other rivers in Syria, the more magnificent rivers, wouldn't you have done it? He said, yeah. Right, so this is a simple thing. Just go and do it. So he said, all right. But if it is that this doesn't work out, and it was kind of in the tone of the text, if that doesn't work, I come in for Elijah. So he went, he dipped himself one time, two time, six time. I can imagine the seventh time he coming up and thinking, boy, Elijah going to get it. He comes up out of the water, leprosy gone. Completely gone. Right? He goes to Elisha. He's so grateful. He wants to give him gifts. He wants to give him gold, all these different things. And Elisha's like, no. Let's, 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 let's go, your, go your way. Praise God. That's good enough. That's fine by me. So he goes. But Elijah had a servant by the name of Gehazi. And Gehazi was like, why might master let this man get away without paying some money? So he run after the man and tell him, no, no, my, my master had some people come over and he, he needs some help now. He needs some money. If you could give me what he intended to pay, I'll carry it back to him. So, so said, so do he collect the money. So he, got, he has him meet up with Elijah again. Elisha, sorry. And Elisha's like, um, um, where have you been? He's like, nowhere in particular. You know, um, for those of us who are, who are parents, um, if your child tells you that they've, they've been doing something nowhere in particular, you better be aware where they've been in, in, in specific. Like, where, where exactly have you been, you know? So he said, he told him basically, the leprosy that was Nahum's is now yours. You lied. You lied. You know, Nahum, isn't this the problem of our approach to sin? Nahum wanted cleansing, but wanted to do it his way, not God's. Gehazi claimed to be doing it God's way, but was in fact doing it his own way. Which one are you? Hopefully you're neither. There's a third way to be sanctified. Obey the word of God. Be transparent about your lives. Continue to work on your sin. Overcome habitual sin. My third point for becoming spiritually mature as we focus on the supremacy of Jesus is suffering for the church. In verse 24 it says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul, though in prison, didn't perceive the suffering he endured as woe is me. Rather, he rejoiced in it because he saw his suffering as helping him to connect even that much closer to Christ and by extension, his brothers and sisters. This Paul, the tent maker, that was his profession, oftentimes supported his own ministry by the work of his own hands, working in the day and then in the afternoon or on the Sabbath 
going to common meeting places to share the gospel with anyone who would listen. He carried young men like Epaphras, Titus, Timothy, Luke the doctor, and even John Mark, after their initial falling out, teaching them and training them in the work of proclaiming the gospel. Paul was highly relational and poured out his heart even when it was unappreciated by his own brothers and sisters in service of those self-same brothers and sisters. It takes a level of maturity to live such a life of filling up in oneself Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, and doing, it, doing so joyfully. I think of our brother Francis Chan. I say brother and he's not part of our fellowship of churches, but Douglas Jacoby considers him a brother. So I think I'm on safe ground saying that. You know, he, he also believes that, that somebody is saved through, through baptism. This guy is a phenomenal servant of God. He started a church in his own living room, and it grew to thousands of people. I could share many different aspects of his life, but one particular aspect in his attitude toward giving. It's like he would literally look for ways to give his money away. Apparently, once he visited Africa on a mission trip, and when he saw the level of poverty and need, yet at the same time the joy in the midst of, of, of a suffering people who accepted the word of God, when he returned home to California, he decided he could not live the same way again. He asked his wife to downsize their home, sell all, their, all that they could sell, that they, did, that they did not need, and give it to their bro poor brothers and sisters in Africa. And eventually she came around, and they did it. His wife shared the challenge that it, was, that it was initially, but eventually she really came around and she felt such joy in giving her stuff away, knowing that it benefited their brothers and sisters. Another time, Francis actually decided to write a book and it's called Crazy Love. It became a bestseller and now millions of dollars was coming his way. What he did, he set up a trust whereby he could not touch a cent of the money himself, but that it would all go to charity based on his wife and himself's direction. They have seven children. I'm sure they have use for the money, but somehow they value the joy of suffering for the saints for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. I think that this is a great example of spiritual maturity. In 1 John 3 verse 17 it says, If anyone has material possessions, and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? What needs do you see in the body of Christ? What are you doing about it? Are you ready to become spiritually mature by suffering for the church? My last point, spread the gospel. Reading from verse 25, it says, Actually, it's kind of like the second or last point, but it's the main, main last point. Verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To be spiritually mature, you have to accept the commission that God has given you in proclaiming the gospel to the lost. Paul's commission was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Romans 11:13 says, I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, 
I take pride in my ministry. Whatever our secular calling, it all zeroes to nothing on this point. We all have a commission to seek and save the lost. The last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, then they, from verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It shows a level of maturity when we are able to, to focus in on this message. And Nino was sharing with us yesterday that there's something about proclaiming the gospel. And all the problems that we have, all the little issues and all these different things, when we laser-like focus on that purpose, everything else seems to work out it really does it just god just keeps doing different things and when you think it's a mountain you have to climb he just levels it and you can overcome we have gone to that it shows a level of maturity when we are able to determine and live out the specific commission in the broader great great commission that god has outlined for us remember paul was specifically the the, the, the apostle to the gentiles in ephesians 2 10 it's for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in us for us to do. Not everybody here could be an Nino, or be a, a Patrick, or different roles. There are different roles, Tyrone, a teacher. But God has created every single one of you with a particular set of work to do beforehand. You know, I always remember that, um, that passage in um, Psalm 139. It says that God knitted us together in our mother's womb. Yes. Every day for us has been numbered. Yes. Right? How precious are your thoughts to me, O God? How precious are God's thoughts about you precious to you? Are you trying to find out what it is God is calling you to as a subset of this larger Great Commission? We have the brothers and sisters who are living out the Great Commission in the way that God has created them. I think of the Nino. How God has worked and moved in his life. Literally moved. I, I, Michael mentioned it to me once. He never see anybody who moved so much within Trinidad in his life. For <laughs> location, Menino has moved as God has taught him and helped. And also, and as a result, God flourished all the while sharing his faith and helping others come to Christ and leading the church on top of that. I think about Tyrone. I didn't ask him to share, but I'll share it anyway. Tyrone and I worked in the sports industry for several years. I felt like I had a front row seat in seeing how God has moved him from one point in his life to the next. As he continues to excel as a sports lawyer and at the same time doing Damien Jabati's Caribbean School of Ministry, he helps his friends draw near to God. Presently, we have the privilege right now of sharing the gospel with one of our mutual friends. And Tyrone uses the skills God has given him while he's off on his, his, his sports law thing, he would go and teach a church, a church in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the Caribbean island that he's in. You know, so he's using his talent like that. I think of our brother Shane. He's another person I find so fascinating how God has used his music to move across the Christian diaspora, as it will. We, are, we in the Protestant Church of Christ, we are Christians only, but we are not the only Christians. 
and he's easily one of the, the most recognized faces in the gospel music industry, sharing the gospel in song. I often hear the quote, not sure where I heard it, but it says, I don't care who writes the nation's law, let me write their songs. There's something about music and the arts that bypasses all the fluff of convoluted reasoning and gets to the heart of a person. And Shane, Rison, our brother, is able to do that with his music. Personally, I feel like I'm still searching. Along the way, God has exposed several things in my own character, whether it be sin, skills, talents, etc. He is refining me, but no matter how challenging it is, I must still pursue and strive to obey him. Matthew 7 says, for those of you who still can only search, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. I believe that there is something miraculous about genuinely sharing your faith, trusting in this area of evangelism that smooths out all the others. As God says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If we pursue God and his purposes specifically, the spread of the gospel, God is faithful and will meet our needs. Let us be mature and spread the gospel wherever we are. My conclusion, and that's the, the latter part of um, this, this passage in Colossians, Colossians 1, verse 20, 28, it says, well, my conclusion is that Jesus is the source of power to become mature. So it kind of it wraps itself all the way around, from him being all this creative force to now seeing him as the, the source of our power. Verse 28, it says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we... Christ so powerfully works in me. So at the end, we're back to where we began. Jesus is supreme, yet he's humble, kind, merciful, full of love and compassion, gracious. The justice of God has been poured out on him for our sake. So let us not trample on the blood of Jesus, but in grace and truth through Jesus Christ, strive to become more and more spiritually mature. Submitting to the supremacy of Christ over everything, being sanctified, being made holy, sacrificing for the church, and sharing the gospel continually. Yeah. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen. Thank you, Richard. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you here today, God. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, God. Thank you for this message here this morning, God, where um, Richard spoke about maturity, God, spiritual maturity, God. But we saw all, we saw all that Paul did in this letter, um, all that he wrote, God. His heart was just, you know, going after the church, laboring for the church, suffering for the church. But help us even have 10%, 15% of that heart, God, where we could just go after your church and go after what you hold as important, God. God, help us to look at our life, look at our structure, God. Um, really understand if we are really living for you and seeking first your kingdom and your glory. Or we are seeking first our kingdom and our glory, God. Um, help us to be convicted, God. Help us to be changed. Help us to make decisions, God. To really have the heart that Paul have, God. To really have the heart that, you know, these, these real life men and women, um, men that Richard spoke about, God, um, in our church and also overseas, God, who really labor for your gospel, God. Who really sacrifice, God. Who really decided to put you first, God. Who really decided to put your church um, first, God. Um, help us to have that heart. Help us to 
really um, go for this lesson, God, go for the scriptures, God, and really um, beg God and um, beg you, God, um, to have that heart. I know for me, God, you know, I need to grow in this, God. I need to grow in your, my love for the saints, my love for your church, my love for the mission, my love for the loss. Um, I just spoke about, you know, there's a real life, literal hell waiting for those, God. Um, but I hear that, and, you know, it could just be words, you know, help me to really be convicted, to really change and understand the um, seriousness of this issue, God, and really um, make decisions to put you first and to go after your church with all my heart and all my soul, God. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.